Hello, my name is Chris Hefner. I'm the pastor of Wilkesboro Baptist, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this message from Wilkesboro Baptist Church in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. For more information and resources, visit wilkesborobaptist.org. So why theology? Why in the world would we possibly decide on a Wednesday night instead of walking through a book of the Bible to do a doctrinal series? Well, I'm going to talk about what theology is in a moment uh, in specific, but let me say this. Everybody who ever has said, God wants us to do this, God thinks this about that particular issue, is doing theology. In that sense, all of us in this room have done or engaged in theology. When a politician references a passage of Scripture to affirm or to argue against some particular political position, the politician engages in theology. Now, I say that very loosely because not everyone does theology well. Okay? Sometimes we get things out of kilter. Sometimes we get things wrong. Sometimes we're off base or off target. And so what we're going to try to do over the course of the next year as we work through Theology 101 is we're going to try to talk about why it matters that we as a congregation of believers understand and apply biblical doctrines in a way that's clear scripturally and in a way that is helpful as followers of Jesus. Uh, Because Good theology grounds us in good Christian living. And I think I can make that case for us in the, in the course of tonight, in the course of the weeks ahead. So, what is theology? If you've got your hand out in front of you, what is theology? Theology is the study of God and God's relation to the world. It's the simplest definition I can make. It's the study of God and of God's relation to the world. So when we think about theology... We're thinking about who God is, and we're thinking about how God relates to the world around us, how God interacts. When we say God judges, that means we say God intervenes in the world in a, in an, in a system of judgment. We'll see that in Noah's Ark story. God judged, that's an act of God engaging in the world. When God redeems, it's an act of God engaging in the world. So any way that God interacts in the world is an aspect of theology. Now, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to to kind of help us here, okay? I teach this at the Bible College in Hendersonville. I work through Theology 101 and 102 at Freeland Baptist Bible College, and we study different doctrines. Sometimes we get into discussions and debates, and we may do a little discussion here, but there's probably too many of us to engage in a lot of discussion. And I will do my best not to make it too heady or too difficult or too academic, But there needs to be some kind of framework so that we know where we're going when we think about theology. The first thing I would say is this. Our aim in theology will help us to know God. Theology, our study of theology will help us to know God. Proverbs 1-7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Our scripture verse is in Proverbs 2, chapter 6, our memory verse for the month of January. And it's out of the mouth of the Lord comes wisdom. He is the one who gives wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Let me tell you what we're not going to do. We're not going to try to become smarter people. 
Now, I'm not saying that won't happen. I hope uh, after we're done with this series, and if you've stuck with me all the way through eschatology, and we work through the doctrine of last things, and we talk about Christology, and we talk about pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, I hope we're a little more informed and maybe a little more intelligent. But that's not the aim. The aim is not so that we will grow in some sense of intellectual pursuit only. The aim is that we'll know God better. Let me illustrate it this way. So how many of you husbands in this room know your wives? Thank you, Pete, for raising your hand. Some of you other husbands were either not brave enough or not honest enough, or maybe maybe you were wise enough not to raise your hands. Okay, when we talk about knowing someone and that word knowledge in Proverbs chapter 1 and in Proverbs chapter 2, that word is da'at, it is a relational knowledge. It is not just a knowledge about. It is not just an academic understanding. Because you might know your wife that your wife's hair color is blonde or that her favorite color is blue or that she doesn't like pizza, or she doesn't like a particular restaurant, or she does like a particular restaurant. You might know these things about your wife, and I would hope you know many things about your wife, because knowing about your wife helps you know your wife. But if all you can do is give a list of facts about your wife, then do you really know your spouse? And the same would be true for a wife with a husband. And, and that's one of the things that we want to make sure we get at when we think about theology from a standpoint as a Christian. It's not just important that we know things about God. We need to know some things about God that matters. But knowing things about God will help us to know God in a relational sense and an understanding sense. See, when we know the greatness and the glory of God, and we're going to talk about some of those things, that should drive us to a place of humility and surrender. It should drive us to a place of obedience and and recognition of who God is and worship. So the more we know about God and the better we know God, I really believe that we'll be better followers of Jesus. That it'll shape the way we live our lives. That instead of just knowing the things we're supposed to do, Proverbs 1-7 Fear the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, or Proverbs 2, 6, will hit wisdom. We'll be able to actually apply that knowledge in a way that changes the way we behave, and we'll act in a way that honors Christ. So with that said, let's look at four types of theology. Uh, and this is an academic aspect of theological discussion, but I think it's important for us to recognize what we're going to do. The first theology, the blank there, is biblical theology. Biblical theology. Biblical theology investigates how each author or book of the Bible considers a particular doctrine. So, uh, for example, a couple years back, we went through uh, our study of the uh, of the, the the Gospels. Went through the Gospels and the Book of Acts, and I spent a Sunday talking about how the Book of Matthew highlights Jesus as the new King. And there are several references all the way through the book of Matthew that reference the kingdom of God, reference Jesus as king, reference him ruling as king. In fact, just recently when we went back and did the Advent study, we talked about some of the different places in the first couple of chapters of the book of Matthew that Jesus is referenced as king. Biblical theology is taking a doctrine or a theme like the kingdom of God, Jesus being king, and seeing how Matthew in Matthew's gospel deals with that. So biblical theology is book by book, or sometimes it could be category by category. So how do the prophets, for example, deal with the justice of God? 
Or how do uh, Paul's letters, for example, deal with the grace of God? That's biblical theology. Historical theology. That's how different doctrinal issues arose and were developed in history. And this is an important factor, an important part of theological development. See, one of the things I'm going to try to do as we work through some of these different topics is talk to you about heresies. What are heresies? Heresies are those beliefs that are false or flawed, that are not orthodox, and that do damage to the church. And many of those have arisen over the last 2,000 years. There have been plenty of places in time and areas in time where uh, preachers would stand up and they would say, Jesus is not fully God. Or, or Jesus is only part God and part man. Or the Holy Spirit is not God. And so these heresies have arisen. And by the way, some of them are still alive and well and embodied and embraced by some Christians, by some false uh, religions, and by other people across the world. For example, the, the folks that might say Jesus is a great teacher. And you'll see a lot of those in contemporary society today. Jesus is a great teacher. I like what he says to me when it comes to his uh, expectation to love one another. But when you start asking them, what do you think Jesus is God? They say, no, 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 no. There's no way Jesus could be God. He's just a good man. Folks, that's a heresy. And there's a place that it has a foundation And so historical theology, what it does, and we're not going to do a lot of this, but what historical theology does is trace how that particular doctrine, whether it's a good doctrine or whether it's a heresy, has arisen over time and how we might address it or how the church has addressed it. Just so you know, the church has gotten a lot of things wrong over the years. Okay, We're a Baptist church. Our denomination has not been around all that long. The Southern Baptist Convention has been around since the 1800s. Baptists, by extension, kind of pre-Southern Baptists, have been around for maybe 150 years or 200 years before then. There have been Christians all throughout the last 2,000 years, whether they've been Roman Catholic or different Protestant traditions. And some churches and some denominations have gotten some things wrong. And they've worked through issues, and they've stated some claims on some issues, and they've been wrong. And occasionally we're wrong. And so historical theology is us being able to look back in history and see how a doctrine or a heresy developed and be able to understand what the church has said about it over the years. And it's an important part of the field of theology. What we're going to do is called systematic theology. That's the next blank. Systematic theology. Systematic theology is a collection of Bible doctrines that flow out of an organized logical framework. One quote would be, it is that line of theological study that undertakes to set forth the several doctrines of Christianity with reference to their particular significance in relationship to one another. So let me give you some examples of what that means. Systematic theology doesn't trace a particular book of the Bible. Systematic theology is generally broken down in topics like the doctrine of revelation or the doctrine of God, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of creation, the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of soteriology, which is salvation, the doctrine of Christ, which is Christology, the doctrine of eschatology, which is the doctrine of last things, the doctrine of ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church. And generally, uh, theological textbooks will break those down in a particular logical fashion. Theologically, or or in systematic theology, doctrine begins with the doctrine of of revelation. 
which is what we're going to start with next week or what we're going to deal with next week. Why is that? We'll come back next week and we'll find out why we start with the doctrine of Revelation and not particularly the doctrine of God. There's a really important reason why that's the case. Now, I I did not bring this tonight, and I apologize for this, but if you'd like to read along with us as we work through these particular doctrines, I would encourage you to do that. The textbook that we use at our Bible college is Millard Erickson's Introducing Christian Doctrine. It's pretty straightforward. It's about 425 pages long. And before you get stressed about that, we're going to cover that in a year. So if, if you read a chapter a week or part of a chapter, we're going to work through that particular material. That's not that much reading in a particular year, but Introducing Christian Doctrine by Millard Erickson. I could reference some other theological books if you'd like to. Some are a little larger. Some might be a little smaller. But anyway, what we're going to do is systematic theology. We're going to walk through the doctrines that uh, ground our Christian faith so that we better understand who we are as followers of Jesus and how we're to behave, how we're to act. The fourth theology is practical theology. Connects doctrines to daily living. And one of the things we're going to try to do every chance we get is show you how the systematic theology or the particular doctrine we're studying matters for the way that you live your life. And doctrines are absolutely practical. They're not just academic understanding. Some of you may be sitting in the room thinking, "Uh, I don't know if this is for me. I'm not sure that I want to do this. I'm not sure that it's going to actually matter for my faith. Well, let me just stop you right there. It will matter, and it will affect how you live. It will affect how you think, and it will affect how you behave. That's the way God intended an understanding of Him to happen in our lives. Do you realize that there's not a person in all of Scripture that ever met God that remained the same? When God introduced Himself, whether it was in a burning bush to Moses, or whether it was speaking to Noah, telling him to build an ark, or whether it was to uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, or any person that ever met God in any significant fashion or very real fashion, They never remained the same. They changed. Their actions changed. Their thoughts changed. Their behavior changed. Their desires changed. And so theology is utterly practical. It actually will help shape the way that we live our lives. And I think that is tremendously important. Because I'm afraid that all too often we as Christians say something with our lips and espouse something with what we say we believe, but it doesn't really affect how we walk on a daily basis. You realize theology will affect how you do business. It'll affect how you relate to your neighbors. It will affect how you interact with people who are lost. Even today, I had a theological conversation with a young girl on the phone. She said to me, she said, I've been questioning because I've been angry. I fell and I hurt myself, and I had a a, a difficulty, and I was concerned about how that was going to affect my dad. And you know what she said to me? She said this. She said, is it okay for me to be angry at God? Is it okay for me to ask God why? Because she understood that you were never supposed to ask God why. That's interesting, because Jesus on the cross used the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from the psalmist David in Psalm chapter 22, where David asked, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and if you've read the psalms lately, there are a few of them that should bother you. 
there's some honesty in the Psalms that, that most of us, if, if that was the way you approached God Sunday when you came to worship, you might scare some people because there's some anger in some of those Psalms. And I had the opportunity to tell this young lady that God wasn't afraid of her anger. We're intimidated by it. Wasn't disrespectful if it was honest. And it helps us be able to know God. So knowing theology helps us in our understanding of who God is. Now the last blank there is we need to have a faith that seeks to understand. That's a quote from uh, church father Augustine. Fantastic church father. In fact, as Christians, Protestants, or Catholics, we all Christians kind of derive much of their foundational theology from Augustine. He was a fourth century um, preacher. Uh, he is known for his uh, two great works, Augustine's Confessions and also his book, The City of God. Uh, fascinating in his understanding of Christian faith. Augustine made this claim. He said, we need to have a faith that seeks to understand. Now, let me tell you one of the reasons why we're going to engage in theology, and it comes back to this particular statement that Augustine made. Our faith, our Christian faith, is not a loose or a uh, anti-intellectual faith. All right? Now, you can come to church on Sunday, and you can sing a hymn or sing a worship song, and you can pray to God, and you don't have to be a doctor of theology, and you don't have to read a thousand books, and you don't have to grow in your intellectual understanding of faith in order to know God. You don't. You, you simply have to be in a relationship with the living God. That's all that's required. But too often, too many Christians in the 21st century, we make our faith anti-intellectual. We basically say this, all I've got to do is believe enough. And let me tell you something, faith is important. In fact, faith is primary. But do you realize that faith in Scripture always is connected to action, obedience, and it's always based on something else that God has said or done. God never tells you or me to close our eyes and take a leap and hope that He's there. Our faith is not uninformed. In fact, one of the things I hope to encourage you with as we work through the doctrines of, of Scripture is that our faith has a strong foundation. Our, 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 our faith, when God says He wants you to believe in Him, there, there is so much to frame our faith that we ought never doubt God again because of how many times He's been faithful and He's followed through and He's accomplished things. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks on Sunday morning when we look at Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. But we're also going to work through that as we work through this doctrine series. God doesn't ask you to believe and just hope everything's going to go okay. God asks you to believe and then seek to understand what you believe. He doesn't say that you have to figure it all out first. And aren't you glad about that? You glad about that? Do you realize that when you came to faith in Jesus, there were a lot of things you didn't know? Of course you do. Of course you do, because you've grown in your knowledge and understanding. How many of you in this room had a solid theology of the Trinity when you came to faith in Jesus? Anybody? Probably none of us. It's possible some of us did. It's possible some of us really explored those things before we came to faith. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's likely that most of us did not. 
But do you realize the Trinity was involved in your salvation? God the Father was the one that drew you and planned for your salvation. God the Son is the one that died on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit is the one that, that drew you to Himself and convicted you of your sin and then came to live inside you when you believed. The Trinity was involved in your salvation. Meaning the doctrine of the Trinity is vitally important to Christian living. But, but how many of you, when you came to faith in Jesus, did your pastor look at you and say, can you explain to me the Trinity? None of us. Why? Because God doesn't expect us to understand everything and then believe. He asks us to believe based on what He has revealed of Himself, the doctrine of revelation, how God has shown Himself to us and been faithful and someone we can trust. He asks us to believe, and then He asks us to continue to understand. Strive to understand. In other words, our faith should consistently be a growing faith. It should be a growing faith spiritually. What I hope as we work through these doctrines is that you will be encouraged spiritually. One of the assignments I give to our Bible college students is I tell them they have to do a journal. For every week that they're in class, they have to do a one-paragraph journal, uh, journal kind of commentary about what they've learned during that particular week at school. It can reflect on my class or it can reflect on a different class. Why do I have them do that? Because, folks, it matters that what you learn in your brain affects how you live your life and affects how you connect yourself to God. It matters. I want you to grow spiritually. I do want you to grow intellectually. I really do. I want you to be challenged. I hope I use some words that you have to look up. I'll try to explain them and define them. I'm not going to leave you hanging. But I hope I do. Why? Because we ought to be growing in our understanding. Intellectually, we ought to be growing. Let me tell you something. God gave you a brain. Do you realize we don't use much of our brains? No offense, but I, I think uh, science and technology, am I right, Craig, 10%? It's about 10% is what they tell us we use. So your brain can stand to be stretched a little bit. So can mine. Nothing wrong with that. We ought to stretch our brains just a little bit. So I hope some of that happens. I, I don't plan on beating your brains out with, you know, uh, jargon and, and conversation, but I hope to stretch your brains a little bit. That's why we do the, the classes that Dr. Jim Campbell teaches. He taught one on, uh, taught two actually in last year on apologetics. He's coming back and doing the science and faith class again. Some of you took it last spring. Some of you are probably going to take it again this spring. So you can make sure that you heard what you heard and, and that challenge that, that, that was entered into your brain with the physics discussions and the scientific discussions, you can recall that. Nothing wrong with that. We ought to be challenged, right? We ought to be challenged intellectually. It's why we're doing things like this because I want you to grow in your understanding intellectually. I want you to grow in your understanding spiritually. I want you to grow in your understanding as a believer who can share your faith. Listen, Theology tells us, Scripture tells us, that if a person dies separated from God, they're going to experience God's judgment for all eternity. Now, all of us in here have heard that. But I'm afraid that sometimes we don't really believe it in the way we live our lives. So we just kind of go about our lives in a ho-hum way. The doctrines of Scripture and theology in general should drive us to an understanding of God as holy and God as great and glorious and also God as graceful and full of glory and redemption. And you know what that will drive us to do? I'll be honest with you. It'll drive you to pray more faithfully for lost people. It'll drive you to look for opportunities to share your faith. It will embolden you to open your mouth and share the good news. I know some of you don't share your faith regularly because you don't know what you'd say. 
you know, how would I answer these questions? Well, I hope to give you some things that will help you answer some of those questions. So I hope our study in theology drives us to be more evangelistic. More than all of that, I hope our study of theology helps us worship better. Folks, the bottom line is this. Generally speaking, you and I, our God, the God that we say we worship, the God that we put in our own minds, is probably a lot smaller than the God who has revealed himself in Scripture. In the way we think about God, in the way that you and I might describe him, in the way that you and I might have been taught who he is, like that girl I talked to on the phone today, somebody told her that you shouldn't ask God questions. You know, I wish I could go back and, and wring that person's neck who said that, because they didn't read the Bible, or they didn't say what the Bible said, rather, would be a better way to, to describe that. Folks, the more we see who God really is, then we're going to realize that maybe we haven't been right about everything we've thought about God. Maybe God's a lot bigger. Maybe God's a lot more glorious. Maybe God's a lot more holy. Maybe he's a lot more faithful. Maybe he's a lot more wonderful. Maybe he's a lot more full of grace and wonder than we ever dreamed or imagined. And you know what that'll drive us to do? I think it'll drive us to open our mouths a little wider and sing a little louder and participate a little more often in the worship service. I think it'll drive us to be more faithful to him because the greater our God is, the greater we realize he is, the more it drives our hearts to worship the God who deserves to be worshipped. Amen? And so I hope that over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be able to do that. I don't know exactly how long it'll take us to get through the doctrine of Revelation. We could spend a year on that, but we're not going to. I promise you. But we are going to look at the doctrine of how God revealed himself, uh, general revelation and special revelation, how that affects the way we understand scripture and how God gave us scripture. We're going to look at those things over the next few weeks. So when you come back next week, we're going to be dealing with the doctrine of revelation. If you're interested, remember that book is Millard Erickson's book, Introducing Christian Doctrine. Uh, I can recommend some others if you'd like some other books. Uh, but we'll come back next week, and that's what we'll pick up on uh, introducing, or excuse me, the doctrine of revelation. So I hope this has been helpful. Um, if you have questions, I'm available for answer those questions. I've got a finance committee tonight, but I'm available to sit down and chat with you any way, any way I can be helpful with uh with any questions you have, theologically speaking. Yes, ma'am, Miss Wilma. How do you spell his name? E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. It's Erickson with a K. Another thing that uh, studying doctrine will encourage us to do is pray. See, when we realize how great and glorious God is, we actually realize that uh, He hears us when we pray. And He knows what we're praying for. And it matters. And He cares. So we're going to take our prayers to the Lord tonight. If you've got burdens and things that are on your heart, I would encourage you as I bow and pray to, for you to bow and pray as well. I've said this before, but just know this. God is big enough to hear all of us pray at the same time. So you don't have to just listen to me pray. You can be praying and he will hear. He knows. Uh, he's much more glorious than you could ever imagine. And so if you wouldn't mind...
take some time and join with me in a time of prayer as we lift our burdens and our situations to the Lord. Father, I want to confess to you how often I see you as less than you are. Lord God, I am by no means uh, perfect, and there are many flaws in my life spiritually and personally, and there are many flaws in the way that I uh, even understand you. No doubt I've actually said things about you that are not completely accurate or certainly not as full and as clear as they ought to be. And I thank you that in your grace and in your mercy you have not uh, struck me from the world. And I thank you that in your grace and mercy you let me continue to know you. Lord, your revelation of yourself to us is a privilege. It's a grace. It's something that we ought not take for granted. I ask God that in our time together over the next weeks on Wednesday nights as we work through the doctrines of Scripture... I ask that you would open our minds, that you would stretch our minds, that you'd help us be able to understand more deeply what your word teaches in a better way, in a healthier way, in a more faithful way over the next weeks. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to know you better. More than anything that we desire, we want to know you for who you really are. Lord, I have no doubt in my mind that in this room and even in my own life, we have some misconceptions about you. We think some things that maybe are not as clear as they ought to be. or We uh, and uh, assume that you're a certain way because of what a parent said or what a preacher said or what somebody taught us from way back. And Father, where those things that we may have learned are wrong, I pray that over the course of the next weeks and months here at our church that you'd reveal that to us. You might show us where, oh man, maybe I didn't get that right. And give us the grace and the privilege of knowing you for who you are and believing you for who you are. Father, and give us the faith that we need to believe you. I'm grateful that you don't ask us to believe blindly. You don't just say to us, hey, it's okay, you just believe and everything will be good. Now you tell us to believe you, but then you give us evidence after evidence and proof after proof and encouragement after encouragement and faithfulness after faithfulness, and you act in a way that should take away all of our doubts and should take away all of our fearfulness to trust you. And I ask God that you teach us to trust Help us to believe you. Help us not to, not to hold on to our own uh, inconsistencies and our own sinfulnesses and our own unrighteousness and our own worries. Help us not to hold on to those things, but help us to trust in you, to depend on you, to see you for who you are. Lord God, I, I pray for our children tonight. I thank you that they're learning Scripture. That as they come every Wednesday night, that teachers and adults and students are down there with them helping them to know what your word means and what it says and how to apply it to their lives. And I pray, Lord, for those little ones downstairs that have not trusted you as Lord and Savior, that the word that they're hearing and that the reminders that they're hearing, that the love that they're receiving from adults and students alike, that would draw them to salvation. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those in our relational circles those on my prayer list and those on the prayer list of those in this room that don't know you as Lord, that they trust you as Savior. Father, as we study your word, I pray that you would open our mouths with boldness and open our hearts with confidence to be able to speak the truth of the gospel to people who desperately need salvation. I pray for those who are coming on Sundays who, who may not have trusted you as Lord yet. 
Ask God that you reveal yourself to them through the stories and the doctrines of Scripture and show them who you are and their need to trust you and their need to make a decision to follow you so that they don't spend eternity separated from you, but they have the privilege to spend eternity worshiping you and glorifying you in a place called heaven. Ask God that you bring them to salvation. Father, we come to you tonight with burdens. Lord, I know there are folks on our prayer list. There are folks that I've talked with today that are facing health challenges. They've fallen. They've hurt themselves. They've been dealing with difficulties. They're waiting on doctor reports. They're, they're waiting on answers to uncertainties. And they may never get the answers that, they, that they're looking for. They're recovering from sickness and illness. Father, we don't come to you lifting them up to you as uh, in kind of this vain hope that uh, maybe God you'll do something about it. We come to you as the God who is in control. We come to you as the God who rules. We come to you as the God who loves and knows all and is in absolute lordship over every situation. We come to you as the one who can. And because you're the one who can, we depend on you. We count on you. We pray for your healing and your strength and your comfort and your peace and your grace. We ask God that you teach us to pray with boldness and we te- that you teach us to pray with um, faith. You teach us to pray uh, believing that you'll hear and knowing that you do listen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to be a church together. I thank you for the privilege that we have to know one another. And I ask God that you uh, use us as we minister to those not only in this room but in our church community and in our community of Wilkesboro. Father, we also come to you lifting up the circumstances that surround our nation and our world. It's hard not to pay attention to news sources or to uh, political division or to concerns about what might happen in other parts of our world. Um, And Father, we come to you as a God who we know is sovereign and we know you're in control. And it's for that reason that we lift up our leaders and our government officials Would you give them wisdom? Father, those that are telling untruths, will you show their falseness to be lies? I pray, Lord, that those who are trying to speak the truth or who will speak the truth, that they would open their mouths with clarity and that the truth would come out. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as followers of you, you give us discernment and you give us understanding in the midst of all the political division and all the stuff that's going on in our world. Help us, Lord, where we're not experts to keep our mouths shut. And to just be patient and to lay back and not have to speak on everything. Help us, Heavenly Father, to have an understanding of what's going on around us. Help us to be full of grace and mercy and compassion for those who may disagree with us. Maybe even in this room there are significant disagreements politically or or personally. Lord, I I pray that you'd help us where those things really matter to to stand firm, but where they don't matter, I pray that you give us grace and patience and peace with one another. And and not seek to be right, but more than anything, seek that others would know you and glorify you and honor you. And I pray, Lord, that would be our demeanor and the the way we engage, the way we interact with one another. Pray, Heavenly Father, that you'd use us as your people to be a testimony of a kingdom that is far greater and more glorious than any kingdom this world's ever seen. It's the kingdom of Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's who we're living for. I pray that you'd help us to live that way. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be here and to serve you and to learn. And we ask, Lord, that you go with us tonight. Make us even more faithful this week in Jesus' name. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Wilkesboro Baptist Church. For more information and resources, visit wilkesboroBaptist.org. We are leading our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Come and join us.